In an effort to better serve our customers and get out of the flipping assets business, in 2019, we spun out of General Electric and created Distributed Solar Development, where our core competency and core business is taking care of assets stem to stern. You know, originate, design, construct, commission, and then turning over to asset management, where we own and operate the asset for the lifetime of its useful life. Market by market, the solar industry is crossing the chasm from early adopters to the early mass market. And one thing is clear. What got us here won't get us there. The days of installation crews doing their own service work are nearly non-existent. And today, customers expect more. The truth is, traditional operations and maintenance is, well, reactive. The future of solar is proactive. I'm Nico Johnson, host of Suncast where I've interviewed hundreds of clean energy leaders in an effort to guide your career and company through this energy transformation. This is our latest educational series, and it's focused on how we can leverage the post-installation customer experience to move beyond simple O&M and find meaningful ways to delight and entice the next wave of clean energy enthusiasts through proactive engagement. In episode two, we'll hear from Chris Larkin, Director of Asset Management for Commercial Solar Developer, DSD. This former GE executive and his team are steeped in process and have engaged in procurement and operations management at the most robust levels of industry. He also brings insight from the perspective of both developer and owner-operator for solar assets. So Chris underscores the importance of building robust processes and relationships in crafting their team and systems to manage an impressive and increasingly geographically diverse fleet of solar projects. Whether you're experiencing the pains of a growing solar business or just starting out and want to learn from the pros, I hope you'll subscribe to the show and join in this important conversation as we explore the future of solar. The Beyond O&M series is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you in partnership with Omnidian. In today's conversation, I want to have a look at the process from inception of providing the idea of what a solar asset can offer for a client all the way through to confirming and keeping that promise made with that client. And as such, I'm bringing on the Director of Asset Management for Distributed Solar Development, Mr. Chris Larkin. Chris is in charge of all the fleet initiatives of the solar team at DSD. You guys may have heard some of the other executives at DSD in previous Suncast episodes. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go check those out. It would give you a better, a more robust understanding of kind of the long history of DSD. Today, we're really going to focus on the evolution of DSD as a customer service provider and how they conceptualized building out the asset management team and protocol. And the person responsible for that task was Mr. Chris Larkin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nico. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. You have been responsible for operations and support on a fleet that now exceeds 150 megawatts. There's a lot that we could unpack about the experience of operating such a fleet and putting professional protocols in place. But for those who are relatively unfamiliar with DSD as a company, maybe this is the first time they've engaged or heard about the name of DSD at all. Could you give us a brief overview of the history of DSD, the kind of customer you serve, and how the business has evolved over the last few years. Yeah, we started off as an internal solar business inside of General Electric. 
uh, inside GE, where we were basically developing, designing, constructing solar projects for commercial industrial customers and literally selling them to financiers or selling them directly to that CNI customer. And as we as we matured and the business grew and we became a little more sophisticated, we realized we really wanted to grow grow our team and grow our company into owning these development assets and really, you know, really generating the revenue and serving our customers, taking care of the asset kind of stem to stern. In an effort to better serve our customers and get out of the flipping assets business, in 2019, we spun out of General Electric and created Distributed Solar Development, where our core competency and core business is taking care of assets stem to stern, you know, originate, Mm -hmm. design, construct, commission, and then turning over to asset management where we own and operate the asset for the lifetime of its its useful life. I love it. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have DSD as one of our early guests in this series. As we think about what does it mean to guarantee performance for these assets is also important to think from the perspective of who is guaranteeing what, what is being guaranteed, and what's the time horizon? Because folks service different elements of the life cycle of any asset. In particular, this is a solar asset. What kinds of clients does DSD typically focus on in terms of how you deliver solar as a service? Our customers are commercial industrial customers that are distributed throughout the United States where they're really looking for an energy hedge into the future where energy prices are only going one way. They're going, they're going up every year. There's more and more demand for kilowatt hours, and we provide that for our customers. We provide this hedge, this long, we'll call it 20 to 30-year hedge with a solar array built on their property where they, they use the kilowatt hours, whether it's through directly net metering those kilowatt hours to the grid, or they actually use it in a behind-the-meter scenario where they're actually using it in real time using their base load at site. I think that's super helpful to understand, Chris, in particular, that you are not only developing these projects, i.e. creating expectations, but you're developing the team and the technology, the network, as it were, to ensure that these assets that you have sold and built function properly as expected by the customer. As I've said prior, we have promise makers in sales where I've spent a lot of my life and we have promise keepers in operations. And as I mentioned in the outset, you are the director of asset management. There's more than one person who maybe doesn't understand what exactly is entailed in asset management. So I'd like to ask, could you please tell me more about your role and what exactly you do, what you're responsible for? How does the organization DSD depend on you? I would definitely classify my team and myself as promise keepers, not promise makers. But you know, as the director of asset management for DSD, I manage all fleet operation initiatives on the team. This includes day-to-day operations and support of our our solar fleet, which is in excess of 150 megawatts, both internally owned by DSD and externally owned by some of our valued customers. Strategic management of O&M resources throughout the country. That includes supplier management, parts planning, also sales support, right? We want to make sure that our promise makers are talking about something that we can keep that promise on. Yeah. I think something that is fascinating about DSD is the, I'm going to call it the heritage that comes from having been a part of a mega corporation like General Electric. While you are now developing 
your own identity. Your team has done a fantastic job of that in the marketplace. The underlying core competencies, many of them for many of the team, yourself, Megan, the list goes on, who came from that GE training, point customers to reliability, trust, and process. And that third piece process, I think, is one of the key elements that folks in any industry that's an upstart, that's crossing the chasm, as it were, from early innovators to early majority, right? That's the place where we see the breakdown. Did you build from scratch the operations and maintenance, the asset management platform for DSD? So we did handcraft the processes that we use now in order to manage our assets. You mentioned GE, and obviously we are a company that incubated inside of GE, and some of the tenets that we took from that is really a really robust and strong background in quality and process. You know, yeah. between being green belt and black belt certified at GE and having a 20-year experience with that, with a lot of our core folks from our team are from that background. And it makes a mm-hmm. huge difference in being able to to service our customers and really being able to scale the data that you're ingesting from your platform and making good decisions and scaling. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned scale a couple of times. And I think that is where a lot of times it does begin to fall apart for companies that are in growth mode, in particular, when you're growing beyond just your region or super regional impact as a developer. You all are developing assets, not just in the Northeast now, but as you've acquired customers that are corporate clients, they're logically asking, well, what about this other campus here and here? And it's a great expansion model for anyone. But how do you begin to then think about in that design of the asset management protocols, building out the service model, especially when you've got that distributed portfolio? In the beginning, we had a portfolio of assets that were in multiple regions, but there was, a, there was some assets that were really isolated in one region of the United States. But we found that it was really challenging for us to get a, our resource technician to site mm-hmm. expeditiously, right? Mm-hmm. And we found that partnering with a O&M firm that had contacts in the region allowed us to do that without hiring on full-time resources. I can't keep a guy busy or keep a technician busy at the outer edge of this region for 40 hours a week. So if I hire him, I'm really paying him for working maybe maybe a couple hours per month. Whereas if I contracted with a with a mm-hmm. PB pros or a regional entity, I can have those resources at my disposal and not pay for a resource full time. And that was kind of the challenge that we had. And this is kind of the same scenario that happened to me inside of GE when I worked for the services team at GE, where we had Mm. five or six entities that were doing work for us. And it really became this kind of churn where where these entities were trying to learn GE's processes, which were vast and, and sometimes hard for a new supplier to pick up right off the bat. And we ended up contracting with one supplier to kind of manage them all. And that really proved to be extremely efficient for us and also served our customers a lot better than we could if we had 10 to 15 suppliers that we were that we're using in region to do the same work. Chris, as the person responsible for building out and at least managing the scope and design of asset management, of helping basically guide the principal towards keeping promises, as you mentioned earlier, part of your job, as you mentioned, is identifying how to scale without it being a burden necessarily on your OPEX by having too many in-house personnel for distributed resources that you have to service and manage. Could you talk 
a bit. For those who have no experience in the kinds of process-oriented training that you've gotten through Greenbelt and Black Belt training at GE, what does it look like to identify a good partner that would help act as an extension of your team? Because effectively, that's what I heard you say just now. You selected PV pros in this case to be an extension of your team because they are going to service these assets on your behalf. And I'm curious, what does the process look like given that they're not directly under your your roof and your control? You have to have a familiarity with each other. And I think that's one of the most important things. So hiring somebody to do one job for you can sometimes it can sometimes be successful and sometimes not because the supplier doesn't know what your expectations are. They're not familiar with your processes. And we found that finding a good supplier that could basically successfully mobilize the site and return a site to service was one of the one of the legs of the stool. One of the other legs of the stool is, is a supplier who's hungry for more work mm-hmm. and they really want to work with you and craft their business and their processes to be in step and in line with yours. And we really found that that was kind of like the second leg of the stool. And then the third leg is really having a technical proficiency with the equipment that you're servicing so that they can drive successful mobilizations and drive successful uh, sites when they're servicing and performing O&M on them. Chris, having identified partners and a network to support your growth, you have to instill this idea of cross-collaboration and sharing of knowledge. How have you seen your partner network support not just the promise keeping, but even the promise making for your overall development process in a way that for you has helped DSD scale and and meet customer expectations? Well, Nico, it's not just the boots on the ground work, like the successful boots on the ground work that builds Mm -hmm. that trust. It's also the support of, well, how can I be confident in the pricing that I'm receiving? Like if it's an opportunity Mm -hmm. as opposed to a constructed project, if it's just an opportunity that my sales team is looking for collaboration on and wants to speak confidently about the value proposition to the customer, can we also drive accuracy into our quoting so that we can create that that promise kept, right? So when I when I make a promise to a customer, mm-hmm. it's based on pricing that I'm receiving from my suppliers and having that confidence in the supplier and having the, them be hook and step with you about what you want and what you need in order to support the pipeline, you know, and creating this pipeline and also delivering that promise to the customer, I feel is really is really paramount and is a very powerful thing. Is a very powerful thing. How do you integrate that in, then into your in real tangible terms, data transfer, knowledge sharing. Can you give me an example of the ecosystem you've built and how it informs your ability to even sell better or provide better, improve and hone in on the customer expectations up front? Yeah, I think making sure that you can scale with web-based tools and info mm-hmm. in such a way that you have more projects. The more projects you have, it's a benefit to that repeatability and those economies of scale. So anybody can have a bunch of disparate systems that are feeding them information about what's going on with an asset or how you build an asset or how you cost an asset. But having those systems talk to each other, setting up the proper APIs and being able to process that information in such a way that you can actually make decisions without downloading an Excel Mm -hmm. spreadsheet or spending hours trying to figure out how can I give this to a salesperson and have them make a promise that I can keep. And having a partner in this business that can provide that for you it is difficult to find and, it, and it's not an easy thing, but having somebody who, who really, as they grow, you grow, and as you do well, they do well, 
I really think that that is kind of the symbiotic relationship that you are looking for from your suppliers. And not all of them are going to be in hook and step with you. But when you can find those, you can kind of foster that relationship and build those processes to feed that data, that data highway that you're building to make decisions. I think that's a very powerful thing. And it's something that DSD and our suppliers, I think, do very well. A great example is this guy, Ben, who I've worked with previous to uh, him working at PV Pros or now at Amnidian. He's a person in this industry that I trust, that I've worked with for Mm. a decade. And he has really helped our team kind of be confident about the pricing that we're giving our sales team right in the front end at the beginning of the process where you're dealing with the customer and really making it easy for us to make a promise to a customer because we know that we can meet that expectation and deliver that promise. When you mentioned pricing. I love that story and how you've been working with Ben for so long. And that's how this industry is. The common thread for many of us is that our relationships predate the banner of the company that we work for today. You mentioned pricing. What particularly is Ben helping you with on pricing? I want to make sure I'm clear on that and others who are listening. He provides for our team, he provides O&M pricing. And we have in turn taken a lot of his pricing and built tools around. And obviously this pricing is not static, right? It changes Mm -hmm. due to inflation or or other things, but we are confident in the information that we're getting from Omnidian and from Ben Compton when we bring this to bear on our value proposition to our customer. And that's, that's sometimes hard to find in this, in this industry and in this business. I have to imagine as well that the part of the value for you as you're thinking about your ability to scale and still know that you've got good data, right? Because as a former sales guy, for me, it was like, I always had to go out and get quotes, get bids on everything. I had to go bid in, you know, if I was bidding in some other part of the country where we weren't particularly experts, it was very difficult to be time consuming. Is, is that sort of what you're talking about? Like the ability to move region by region, often state by state and have really good, accurate data? Yeah. And in some cases, you know, we don't have we don't have boots on the ground in a region and we do have knowledge of the industry and we know how it works. We're very good at it. But in some cases, we don't have a real good feel for, you know, what are the costs? What are the costs for a technician? What is the hourly rate? How much is it going to cost me to take care of an asset in this region using our scope of work with this company? And Ben has really kind of crystallized that in a lot of ways for us where they do a lot of the legwork of trying to figure out like, okay, this is this is what this region looks like. We actually have assets in this region in our network that can provide accurate quoting. And, you know, this has happened. You know, we don't I don't have a person on my team that's located in every city and town that we do business. Right. So I really do. We do rely on on a lot of this industry knowledge mm-hmm. and really using using that and bringing that to bear in our processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what it comes down to ultimately is giving the customer a true sense of peace of mind about the decisions that they're making, both up front, as well as contractually knowing that you are going to deliver on that guarantee of performance to them. And it sounds like in the ways that you've enunciated here in this conversation, your ability to both instill process, which you learned at at GE and have cultivated into your team here, and qualify and select the right tools, technology, and teams to help you deliver on those processes without hitting your OPEX, meaning you don't hire them necessarily as employees, is part of the success that is being born out at DSD, your ability to scale and become one of the most important CNI and community solar developers in the United States right now. Is that accurate? I hope I'm not overstating it. Yeah, it is accurate. 
by the same token, you know, our attention to each individual site, you know, as their own asset, which happens to be a part of a portfolio that we manage, as opposed to thinking of the site secondary, where you're thinking of the portfolio. This portfolio is one entity and just has a bunch of sites in it. The importance of each site is really minimized a lot of times in that scenario where you're thinking of a portfolio as just a collection of sites and not about individual sites. And our, our team, I think, does a really great job performance-wise. We do weekly performance check-ins, daily performance check-ins, weekly performance check-ins, monthly, annually, where we really focus on the individual site. Because that individual site, if it has an inverter down, now that inverter may not be a huge part of my portfolio, You know, less than 0.001% of my entire portfolio. And I, I've seen other bigger entities in this industry leave inverters down at a customer site because they're not a huge part of the portfolio and it's not causing them any issues mm-hmm. with metrics or anything like that. But honestly, if an inverter is down and you're losing kilowatt hours, there's a customer that that could make up up to 10% of their total kilowatt hour output and you're just leaving mm-hmm. it sitting, not generating power. And each kilowatt hour is yeah. worth a certain amount of money to us and to the customer. And at a certain point, if that inverter is down, it's going to cost a truck roll. You know, if you leave it down for a week, a month, and we really kind of pride ourselves on responding to those outages and returning those assets to service quickly and not waiting, you know, not waiting. Well, I'll get to it when it becomes a bigger part of a portfolio and not a bigger part of a site. So that's the way that we think about, you know, serving our customers and making sure that these assets are performing to that performance guarantee. Right. Yeah. I think it points to that customer-oriented focus that we brought as a through line to this entire conversation. Because it's so true what you say, Chris, where at a portfolio or a fleet level, from an asset management perspective, often contractually, you have some buffer built in to how quickly you need to respond, to how many kilowatt hours are lost before you have to respond contractually. And a lot of just outsourced third-party operators, they work to that minimum effective dose, as it were, which as you point out, takes into consideration kind of what the overall best efficient OPEX for them as an asset management company is rather than for that client who isn't 0.0001 of the portfolio. It is one of two in the portfolio. And, you know, that's a perspective that you don't hear much. The ability for someone at your scale to say, look, we're going to not just reactively, but proactively ensure that our assets stay online and we're going to leverage technology and teams And we're going to have the level of customer focus that says we're going to keep our promise. We're going to identify outages even before they happen. Yeah. And we have an excellent technical team as part of the asset management division of DSD. And I think they do an excellent job of not just responding to an alert. I have an alert on an inverter. It's down. Not just that, but just looking at an inverter like, hey, you know what? This inverter was performing a lot better two weeks ago. What's going on? I don't have an alert, but what's going on here? Like something's happening. And I don't yeah. can't put my finger on it. We need to dig into this and figure out what's going on. Because yeah. when you kind of take that underperformance and scale it out over 10, 15, 20 years, even if it's a little bit, when you look at the bottom line and the way that you modeled this project from a kilowatt hour perspective and from a revenue perspective, it makes a big difference. So if you just let it sit and, you know, at this underperformance, it can have real impact to the customer and, and to us. Yeah. You know, the bottom line is, The customer is sitting there looking at both their bottom line and the asset, asking one very simple question. What am I saving? Is this working? And you and I and everyone else building these projects, as we cross the chasm of customer adoption into that early majority group, it's incumbent on us to 
make it apparent to them, not just, hey, I'm going to get a report, but to provide them with tools, to provide them with a sense of confidence that what you've said they're going to save, they're going to actually save. You mentioned in a recent Solar Power World article that great solar asset management starts in the design phase of the system. And I think that's one of the, maybe one of the final points that I'd like to hone in on here. How do you integrate the asset management teams into not just the sales process, but the entire design process such that you can close that feedback loop internally and with the client and ensure success? We have frequent meetings, not just like our function is not siloed in a vacuum, right? And none of our functions on our mm-hmm. in our DSD company are siloed in a vacuum. We need input from other folks in order to get better and continuously improve what we're doing. And mm-hmm. we have standing meetings with our engineering team to make sure that we're designing these for better O&M, for more cost-effective O&M. Locating mm-hmm. equipment at certain locations that's a little bit more advantageous for a technician going to site is a perfect example of that. Or just looking at it from an equipment, like what equipment are we choosing? We, we have, you know, top tier equipment suppliers and, you know, you're using you know, breakers, balance of plant inverters. I want to make sure that we're using the right equipment that's going to last a long time. And giving that feedback loop, I really think is extremely important in improving the output from your systems and being and coming back to that promise, that performance guarantee with your customer mm-hmm. that you promised maybe even a year before, you know, and making sure that you can meet that obligation. You know, Chris, one of the things that we've come back to is the ability to scale. And it is clear that at DSD, you've learned how to leverage process and a true customer-oriented focus to scale. You know, coming from the kind of pedigree that you come from and the investors that you were able to bring on, DSD brings a few tools to the table that perhaps are missing for your average startup that's trying to scale in this industry. Where do you see peers or even competitors most often struggling to achieve scale? What are the missing pieces that maybe you have been able to put together under one umbrella, but that many developers you see are still lacking and and need to really focus on in order to scale up or to get to the point where they can service that early majority who think quite differently from a risk aversion perspective than the early adopter? I think one of the major items is, I mean, we've talked about it all through this interview is process, right? They just don't have Mm -hmm. the tools in place to effectively and effective processes to scale, right? It's just without that, you can't truly have a distributed portfolio that you're going to grow from 10 megawatts to 100 to 200 to 500. It's just not going to happen and you're going to falter. And I think one of the things that we provide some of those more regional entities like developers and EPCs is we we have DevNet, which is basically... DSD's mm-hmm. developer network team partnering with these with right. these regional and local development and EPC firms to help support and advance commercial industrial solar. Yeah. You know, we provide access to capital, like so so the process, oh. there's capital, just effective ownership models, O&M and just other resources that your typical regional entity might be lacking. Like they have a certain acumen in that region but they don't have some of these things that they need to get this project off the ground and really start you know, building it and getting it to fruition for their customer fast. Yeah, that's fascinating. I find more and more that companies at scale do offer the ability to, I'll call it syndicate their processes and increasingly their access to financing. Uh, I wasn't aware of, of the development network that DSD has created and it makes perfect sense to me. But then So the three areas that I heard your developer network benefits from and that you have honed to be able to 
build out a more nationwide presence are process, financing, and then O&M. And I would have to imagine that last piece, it's some ability for folks who have partnered with you perhaps for financing or for development expertise in a process orientation can leverage the team that you've built to provide O&M to their built assets and keep the promises they made, even though they don't have asset management services inside of their own business. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is. I mean, our ability to provide all three of those things and other resources really, I mean, our ability to partner with with these entities such such as Emnidian, for example, you know, they allow us to scale in a lot of these regions where perhaps we don't have a huge footprint, but we do have the acumen mm-hmm. to build successful projects and operate them. As you said, and as we've discussed throughout this conversation, as consumers move from the early adopter and innovator phase, we must focus ever intently on keeping the promises we make. Fewer customers are willing to experience the pain that most of us and our customers in over the last 15 years have in terms of how systems perform relative to what they were told. Chris and the DSD team have really focused on that ultimate goal, which is peace of mind when the customer asks the question, what am I saving? When it comes down to building this family and team-oriented partnership and network with service providers who can align with your goals as a company and scale with you with a shared vision for success. That's among the many gems I've gleaned from this conversation with you today, Chris, and I'm sure we are all the better for it. How would someone, if they were so inclined, be able to connect with you? Where do you like to be found? The best way to find us is go to our website, which is dsdrenewables.com and you can get in touch or find, we have a lot of resources on this website that'll help you get in touch with the right folks from our team mm-hmm. to help you further the CNI, CNI solar industry or a project that you're interested in. Fantastic, Crystal. Well, I appreciate that DSD is focused on performance guaranteed for that customer and helping get them to a place where more and more customers can trust what we are telling them is true about these assets that, in fact, don't have uh, no moving parts. (laughs) Thank you for your time, my friend. It's great to hear how you all are building DSD out to lead the industry for asset management and build out this service network. Thanks a lot, Nico. I appreciate the time and I appreciate being on your show. Thank you. Likewise. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode in this six-part series exploring the future of solar from the Promise Keepers, helping the solar industry cross the chasm and reach mass market success. Many thanks to the expert contributors sharing their insights in this series and to our partner Omnidian, who helped make it possible. Here's a quick peek at what's coming in the next episode. Financing is a thing and that gets people into the business, but the evolution and the maturity of the product set in the space has really dictated a better journey for newer customers. I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the web at mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar, where you can learn more about each guest and dig into the references highlighted in today's conversation. If you're completely unfamiliar with Suncast, well, I'm honored that you've listened all the way through this episode. I've interviewed hundreds of founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the clean energy industry over the last seven years in an effort to help you figure out exactly where you fit in the clean energy transition. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to give other Suncast episodes a listen. It's the most comprehensive podcast in existence, documenting the rise of the solar and clean energy revolution from the voices of the leaders brave enough to stand on the front lines. Beyond O&M, the future of solar 
is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you by Omnidian. They'd also love to partner with you in scaling your solar business. Find out how by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.